0: Welcome to Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture, a podcast from Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. I'm your host, Sean McDowell, Professor of Apologetics.
1: I'm your co-host, Scott Ray, Dean of the Faculty and Professor of Christian Ethics.
0: Today we're going to talk uh, a conversation, just the two of us about a topic that's become more and more prominent in the Christian culture today, and even larger than the Christian culture. Some of it has to do with our last administration we had in the presidency and questions that it raises about kind of the intersection between the Christian faith and the American story. And it's called Christian nationalism. Why don't we just start, Scott, by coming up with a definition of what we mean by Christian nationalism? Because what I found is, when people ask me, are you a Christian nationalist? Do you believe in Christian nationalism? I ask people what they mean, and I get such a range of confusion. Some people think it's just being patriotic. Some people think it's going into the military. Uh, it typically is a derogatory term. But l- why don't we just start off and define what we even mean by Christian nationalism?
1: Well, you've, Sean, I think you've put the, mo- the most difficult question out there right at the start, <laughs> right. I, I think that is the toughest part of this because um, one, one is there are lots of definitions out there. Uh, some are more, what I would call, more, more jingoistic than, than others. But I think the what makes the definition hard is that there are lots of adherents for whom their adherence to Christian nationalism is more a visceral, emotional attachment to America as a country as opposed to a well-reasoned and, and thought-out definition of how their patriotism and their Christian faith intersect. So mm. I, I would say that the, you know, some, of the, some of the things that uh, that I've heard, at least, that define this are more, more just what I would call truisms, that, that uh, there are things like, well, it's, it's when you wrap the cross in the flag Okay. or it's you know it's civil religion sort of on steroids um, it's fusing the kingdom of God with the national interest you know those types of things I think to be a little bit more precise um, it's it's an it's an understanding of uh, in this case uh, American identity and the significance where the country is the central actor in the, the sort of the global purposes of God in the world. Um, now, I think here's the interesting thing about this is I, I wonder if we would view this differently if we were having this conversation in Sweden, for example, yeah. or in Indonesia, for example. I think I don't, I don't hear any type of Christian nationalism in, uh, in the developing world, for example, um, you, I think you did have something like this. You had an athe- what I would call an atheistic nationalism during the Cold War, uh, where the the, so- the Soviet Union, be- because I think because it was based on, on an atheistic foundation, didn't have any kind of um, you know tran- transcendent uh, being to look to, and so the state assumed that transcendent status. And so you, you, I think you could actually you had a a long period of what I would call atheistic nationalism, uh, where the nation took on essentially the the role of a deity. Uh, So I think, but I think for Christian nationalism in the U.S., it's seeing America as the kind of the central, the, the central actor in sort of God's historical purposes, and it's. It's sort of it's a religious it's a baptized view of what's g- often called American exceptionalism. Mm. Uh, so, but it, it's putting that in distinctly Christian terms. It's exceptional because God is the one who is significantly blessing America because of its presumed Christian roots uh, and its ongoing allegiance to God.
0: Do you think it'd be fair, Scott, to say that? All Christian nationalists would believe in American exceptionalism, but not all those who embrace American exceptionalism would necessarily be Christian nationalists. Yeah,
1: no, that, that's I think a really helpful distinction, and I and I would agree. I think that's right. Uh, I think you can believe that there is something exceptional exceptional about America. You know, that it uh, you know it, it's the one of the, it's one of the few countries that has origin based on ideas rather than ethnicity. For example, I think it's been, I think you can make a good argument that on balance, America's been a, a really significant force for good in the world. Not without flaws, of course, um, but a significant force for good. But when, it's, when it becomes baptized in theological language, uh, then you have the notion of Christian nationalism. One question
0: that I have is, why do we uniquely see this in the American context? Because I can't speak for other countries. I just don't know enough about it. But we've certainly seen this emerge in America. And some of our thoughts might be things like just some of the founders would certainly use biblical language, were shaped by a biblical worldview. And not all of them, but some of them saw America in these terms. So it's kind of baked into our history a little bit. And of course, the debate over Christian nationalism is how deep that goes and what it means. I think it's unmistakable that we find that language in those ideas, at least historically to a degree. I think that's a piece of it. I think another piece that's interesting is that we have had over the past few decades, this powerful kind of religious freedom in America, you know, in decades as a whole, that we haven't seen in a lot of countries around the world. So there's a sense amongst quite a few people that there can be a loss of that power and significance as culture changes. So one way to hang on to this is to see the American experience or the American experiment, so to speak, through this biblical lens. Do you agree with that? Disagree? what would you add to why you think maybe we see uniquely in the American context?
1: Well, I think some of it, I think does go back to the founding, um, and I think it's, maybe the way I'd put it is that Protestant Christianity was just part of the air that people breathed in 1776. Uh, and I think you can you can cite certain aspects of the Constitution as having its roots in some of those Judeo-Christian moral values and principles that were just part, they were just part of the culture. Um uh, and I say Protestant for a reason because it's, it's really clear that ca- Catholics were persona non grata for the most part uh, in, the er- in the early days of the Republic. It actually took Catholics a long time before they enjoyed the kind of religious freedom that we espoused for everyone. Um, but I think, for example, take, take uh, the, the separation of powers in the Constitution, I think, is directly premised on our notion of sin. Uh, and that, yeah. that if you have too much power concentrated in any one branch, the, the opportunities for corruption, or as Lord Acton put it, that uh, you know power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, uh, I think was 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 front and center in the minds of the founders. Now, did they all you know did they all believe the Bible that taught that? Not necessarily. Um, but it was just it was just part it was just part of the air that people breathed at that time in the culture what i would add to this is i think christian nationalism got a big boost during the cold war because it was you know and, and we we've, we've seen this more recently in in the muslim world where you know the mujahideen for example in afghanistan when they were trying to throw the soviet union out referred to them as those godless communists and they were right. not the they were not the first people to do that. Uh, I mean, they were widely referred to as, you know, as, you know, you know, godless pagan communists uh, by you know by lots of Americans during the Cold War. And so, if you were fighting the godless pagan communists, it's it sort of presumed that if you were fighting them, you had God on your side. Uh, and and I think that that theological notion was invoked fairly regularly. By by presidents and political leaders during the Cold War, um, and so I, I think it, it got it got its most recent, I'd say, a big booster shot uh, during the Cold War period.
0: That brings up one of the concerns that I think has been tied to Christian nationalism, in the sense that certain evangelical leaders, white evangelical leaders, people like Billy Graham framed the cold war as a conflict between Christian values of America and the atheism of kind of the Soviet union. So this idea that we are a Christian nation gets kind of embedded into the language. And he later admitted that this kind of spiritual framing led him and other evangelicals to see almost everything about cold war politics through spiritual lenses. Thus, whoever's the toughest on communism got transformed into Christian warriors with God on their side. So there's a recognition on one hand that there are underlying worldview issues at play, freedom, human equality, et cetera, within the American experiment that was very different and are very different than this Marxist ideology of human value. But when you start to bake that with Christian language, that's where kind of Christian nationalism comes in. Is that one of the concerns that you would have?
1: Well, I, yeah, that it is a concern. Although I think it, we should be we should be fair and say that you know things like human dignity, equal rights, uh, a, a lot of the concepts that were really important to the founders do have their roots ultimately in the biblical notion of human mm. beings made in the image of God. And so, and, and you know, atheistic regimes that disavow that it's not an accident. That their human rights record is different. Um, now, that's not to say that 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 America has always lived into its founding principles, uh, sure. because we have—I mean, we have lots of our own human rights abuses as well historically. Um, but at least we have, uh, you know, we have the, the we have theological roots for some of those things that we've held dear. That without those, I think. You, you just know you don't have any rational basis for protecting basic, fundamental human rights. So, the the thing, Sean, I think with Christian nationalism that we really need to be clear about is 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 it true theologically that the United States is sort of God's special instrument for fulfilling His purposes in the world, and. I think, we, you know, we see this r- r- sort of regularly when uh, passages like Second uh, Chronicles seven fourteen are invoked uh, during times of national crisis, for example. We see this on the, you know, on the 4th of July sort of routinely. And then, you, you know, you may be familiar with this because you may have had, seen it in your own church. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive forgive their sin, and heal their land. Okay? Let's be really clear about this. That does not apply to any nation other than Old Testament Israel. And the reason for that is because Old Testament Israel is the only national entity that had a covenant relationship with God in which the, the blessings of of God would come as a consequence of obedience to his law. And cursings of God would come as a consequence of disobedience to his law. That we refer to that as the Mosaic Covenant. And the Mosaic Covenant was done away with with the cross and resurrection of Jesus and the coming of the church. And so as opposed to in the Old Testament, God's purposes were centered around the nation, reaching the world through the nation of Israel. Today, God's purposes are centered in a multinational, multi-ethnic body we call the church. Right now, I think I, I think that na- the nation of Israel still has a place in God's plans because God made promises to Israel originally sure. that will be fulfilled ultimately. But I think, but God doesn't work through nations today in the same way he worked through Old Testament Israel. And that, that I think we just have to be so clear about that, that if America is exceptional about some things, we, we can't sort of, sort of baptize that in theological language uh, without, without, I think, running afoul of the biblical teaching.
0: So let me bring back to sum up kind of the point that you're making to make sure that that we're tracking with this. You're making a big difference between America as a nation rooted in certain Christian ideas about human dignity, about the sinfulness of man and the distribution of power. That seems historically pretty undebatable. Taking the next step and saying, just as God uniquely called the people of the Old Testament God is calling America in the same fashion, that's where we go, okay, time out. Now we're making theological claims and confusing promises that were made to the Old Testament with America without the same level of theological justification. So number one, it seems to me it's not theologically warranted to make that step. But number two, it also could lead to if we interpret it that way, overlooking some of the bad things that have been done in America and our spotted record, because, well, God calls us and God is on our side. Now, of course we see the bad record in the old Testament. The old Testament doesn't hide that of the nation, not not at all. (laughs) That's (laughs) for sure. But I think that's a real temptation that's, that can occur when we start to, uh, read certain promises into America that were meant for Israel. Now, let me ask you a question. Some of the people that have asked me and raised concerns about Christian nationalism tends to be some of my friends outside of the U S who will say there's this unhealthy fusion of like American culture and Christianity and faith. They see it from a different context. And many of my friends who are minorities also see that because their experience in america is very different than my experience at least as a whole being Mm -hmm. white do you see that same kind of concern because sometimes they'll say to me they'll say look we're concerned about critical race theory very concerned about it and we see a segment of the church being concerned about that but not also being concerned about christian nationalism and I say, you know what, there's concerns on both ends of this spectrum we need to be willing to address.
1: I I, I think that's absolutely right. And I think you as you see that if you try and sort of export Christian nationalism to another country. And we, you know, as Americans, looking at sort of my early example, if we were in Sweden today, we would think, well, what what's so magical about Swedish culture that— you know, we would baptize it in Christian terms and call it exceptional. Uh, you know, there's nothing that we would say. We, we we assess culture. The gospel and the scripture stand above culture in judgment on it. Uh, you know, and rec- recognizing what's good and consistent with biblical teaching, but also being really clear, as the prophets were about Old Testament Israel, being clear about what their failings are, um, and where they, as a as a nation, they've fallen short, um, and so I I think there there's a, some there's something about the U.S., um, and I think you know it may it may have something to do with the Christian roots. I think it's I think it's a little strong to say that America was founded by all Christians. We uh, sure. was not, I I think it's a little because I mean a number of the founders were actually quite hostile to Christianity. Um, and I think it's, I, I'm, not, I'm not totally comfortable with the notion that America was founded as a Christian nation, because I don't, I don't think that's true. Uh, now, it was founded not, to, not specifically to have a state church. That was different. That, that was the purpose of the First Amendment, the guaranteeing freedom of religion. It kept government from establishing a state-run church that would dictate matters of belief and conscience. And, you know, the, the genius of the First Amendment is that it did away with government being the arbiter of conscience. Uh, so, I, I mean, to what degree did we, it had— it had? I think it's fair to say that the, the country had its roots in some Judeo-Christian principles that were very formative. Um, I think to conclude that it was a sort of a distinctly Christian— nation designed to further the kingdom of God, uh, I think is fusing the nation and the church in ways that are unhealthy.
0: That's great. I think that's getting to the heart of what we need to be concerned about. Let's make a few more distinctions. I think for our listeners, it might be helpful. Uh, For example, what's the difference between being a Christian nationalist and being patriotic? And I, I would say, you know, patriotism essentially is love for country Is there anything wrong with loving one's country? I I would say no. Why would it be wrong to love somebody's country? In fact, John Piper had a really interesting take on this. He said, we are citizens of heaven, but we can have affection and love for our earthly home. He warned about loving our home too much in a way that hurts others and compromises the gospel. But he says, there's nothing wrong with loving our homes and the country that we're from. It gets harmful when we love it so much that we don't see its faults. And I thought that makes a lot of sense to me that Christians can be patriotic if we just remember where our ultimate citizenship is and have patriotism with our eyes wide open,
1: yeah, I mean, we're we're commanded to seek the welfare of the city in which we find ourselves. You know, we're we're committed, you know we're part of a community, We're part of a nation. We're called to be responsible citizens, uh, but ultimately uh, that's a that's a penultimate commitment for us. Uh, our ultimate commitment is obviously toward the, the kingdom of God, uh, which transcends national boundaries and ethnicities and all of that. Um, and so, I think it's I think we, it's perfectly legitimate to be patriotic. Uh, I don't think that means necessarily being uncritically patriotic um, sure. because. You know, I, I, don't, I don't take the view that uh, that being patriotic means you can't, you know, you, that, that the country is above seeing its faults um, because, you know, after all, we're populated by, you know, a whole country of miserable, wretched, depraved, self-centered sinners. You know, <laughs> what, what else would you expect? Um, <laughs> right. In fact, I think the, the, the fact that there's so much good has come out of our country is actually the, the, the surprising part given mm. given the, the spiritual makeup of all of its citizens. Um, so I think it, it's, it's, I, it's, it's not only fine, I think it's important that you love your country. But you love your country realistically uh, without papering over its faults, um, and I think it, you realize it's a penultimate commitment that we have.
0: So let, let's just make one more distinction to help people. What's the difference between, like, with a theocracy and Christian nationalism because when we say a Christian nation part of me wants to ask the question what does that even mean because Jesus didn't come down to establish a nation he established a church so to speak which is the people who follow him he wasn't instituting a nation but in the old testament they did have a theocracy during the Mosaic covenant, so maybe explain that difference between what was a theocracy in the Old Testament and the role of more the church today.
1: Yeah, a theocracy is really simple. It's where it's where the law of God is automatically the law of the land. You know, theonomy is another term for that. Um, you know, the theos God, namas law, which is the the law of God is the is the law of the land. There's no legislature. There's no debate. Uh, you either accept it or you don't, uh, and there are a handful of theocracies in the world today. Most of them are in the Muslim world, um, and to, uh, the the, uh, the founders obviously did not intend for the United States to be a theocracy. Otherwise, the the First Amendment would have been an anathema to them if that had, if that had been their intent. Um, and no, and that's why I think. I, I wouldn't see our founding documents. They are inspiring, but they're not inspired in the same mm. way that that the Scripture is. That's um, good. You know, yeah, they're, I mean, they, they are, you know, they were world-changing documents. Uh, you know, and com- combined, combined the Declaration of Independence with Adam Smith's The Wealth of Nations, which was also written in 1776— that makes that's a pretty influential year, uh, because you got both democracy and markets coming out sort of going public in the same year, um, and you know, for myself, you know, I I, I have I have no problem, I would I would much rather have a competent and non-believing president than a believing and incompetent president. Mm. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't look to the president to be the spiritual leader of the country. Uh, I think if he or she is a believer at, and and competent, that's all. all so much the better. Um, but I don't. I don't think we don't look to the political arena to do what God has called the church to do. Hmm.
0: What. One of the distinctions, if I can jump jump in here, that was helpful is you and I both read this book called Taking America Back for God, which was Oxford University Press written by two sociologists, Andrew Whitehead and Samuel Perry. Uh, I'm not sure if they believe in God or not, but they're certainly not evangelicals. And they kind of make the point, they say, you know, there's a New York Times article that said 81% of evangelicals voted for Trump. And whenever I hear these kind of statistics, I'm always leery because I wonder, do most evangelicals know what it means to be an evangelical? But second, do people in the culture even know and understand what that term means? And he says, if you look at evangelicals in terms of, say, their views about conversionism, about being born again, about the Bible being inerrant, those core evangelical beliefs were not statistically significant whether people voted for Trump or against him. In other words, when people who voted for him would actually use certain evangelical beliefs to support him and those who were against him would use certain evangelical beliefs uh, such as character mattering and voting against him. But the statistically uh, significant difference was the belief in Christian nationalism about voting for him or not. I, I haven't seen further studies in this. I don't know exactly what to make of that, but that's a very interesting distinction that I think is often lost in these conversations that are the wider culture will try to demonize evangelicals because of their alleged voting habits. But there's more to this story within evangelicalism than just the core beliefs that define us. Do you see that? What are your thoughts on that when you were reading the yeah, book Gary no, yeah. and Whitehead?
1: well that that's a really perceptive question because I've often wondered in in what sense is Christian nationalism genuinely Christian mm. in terms of following Jesus as opposed to following a national you know a national ideal um, and I think it's it's it is very telling that for many adherents of Christian nationalism, some of those core beliefs that we would consider defining for evangelicalism, don't don't seem to be all that significant. Uh, I think part of part of what I wonder is, you know, sort of ex- explaining or understanding why people supported the candidacy of Donald Trump both in 16 and in 2020. And I think some 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 people supported Trump because. A sort of, in what I would call an unqualified way, uh, where you know it was, you know, sort of. I mean, he he sort of captured what they what they considered really significant about making America great again. But I think some people voted for Trump because, uh, in spite of his character, um, they they sort of, in my, in my view, they sort of held their nose when it came to matters of character and voted sure. because of his commitment to advocate for the unborn and for religious freedom and other things that you know the evangelical community held dear now i i think the part of the issue is that you know the the church in all of its forms anytime it becomes captive to any any political agenda the gospel always ends up being the loser hmm. And the, the the unwillingness, I think, of of some evangelical leaders to be critical of Trump and the Trump administration, I think, is a bit of an abdication of the church's prophetic role over, over all political systems. And we shouldn't you know, we shouldn't be surprised that every political platform falls short of you know, biblical expectations, because nobody no no party platform, no group of delegates sat down and wrote their platform specifically with biblical faithfulness in mind. And so we shouldn't be surprised that, you know, all political platforms are flawed. Uh, and so I think the the part that the, the part that I guess saddens me a bit about Christian nationalism and how it's been associated you know, I think in some cases fairly, but in other cases not, with evangelical yeah. faith, is that I think that the, that connection between Christian nationalism and evangelical faith has ultimately harmed the gospel. Hmm. That's Let me leave it at that.
0: Um, oh, gotcha. In some ways, I think we should drop the mic and end this, because what do we care about more? Saving America, a certain political party, or the gospel—that doesn't mean saving America, whatever that means—is <laughs> unimportant. Politics yeah. is important, and, let, and let's but be clear. What,
1: yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about some of the directions our country was taking, both during the Trump administration and in the current one. Sure, um, sure. So I think there's there's room to be concerned about both of those, but. You know, and I want i want the very best for my country, but my country is not the kingdom of God. Mm. So do you look at,
0: you know, oftentimes those who are Christian nationalists, I don't know the studies, but almost overwhelmingly would be Republicans who would hold that. It tends to be a fusion between the Republican Party and the way Jesus would vote. Seems to me in my mind, there's a big difference between saying, "Okay, as a Christian, I'm going to take values that I see in scripture, look at these two parties and come to a conclusion of which one I think is going to best help the welfare of the city in the way that you described and advance human rights. I'm going to take my Christian faith and I'm going to critically apply it to Democrats and Republicans. That's different then starting to say, hey, if you don't vote a certain way, you are voting against Jesus as if Jesus is particularly a part of a political party. That's where some people raise the concern. So I don't mind somebody saying, hey, I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican, because here's why I think Jesus would side with these views. I say, great, game on, make your case. Let's look at the teaching and evaluate that that's very different than the way Christian nationalism assumes that Jesus had a political party the way it's understood in modern day America.
1: Yeah. And that if you don't, if you don't adhere to that, you are not only less American, but you are less Christian. Mm. And that, that I think that's the, I think that's the troubling part of this on both counts. Um, And I think part of the reason that, that Christian nationalism is is on the rise more recently, is because I think there there is a there is a constituency that feels like they have been marginalized, uh, and that they're you know the, the country that they knew has sort of they they've lost, uh, and they want to regain that. The interesting thing is I think you you hear that same sentiment on both sides of the partisan aisle. Uh, and I, I mean, I heard you know a, a number a number of people who were on the left side of the aisle saying during the Trump administration, you know, what happened to my country. And I think there there, there are others who are saying, you know, in this in the Biden administration, what what's going to happen to my country, uh, and during the pre- previous Democratic administrations, what happened to my country, um, and I think that. That, that sense of of losing you know, my, losing my grip on what my country stands for is, I think, some of some of what motivates Christian nationalism. Hmm.
0: And you would probably argue that some of that can be that America's been an amazing experiment in history for a number of reasons, as flawed as it is. But sometimes our hope is more deeply in something outside of the gospel. And your call is, and I agree with this 100%, that when it's all said and done, what matters is the gospel. That's what we're committed to. And if there's any position from critical race theory or from Christian nationalism that causes a compromise in the gospel, that should be a huge red flag to us who want to live the way that Jesus lived.
1: Yeah, I'd say that's the thing that re- that's really worth getting exercised about, mm. um, and yet I I don't I don't see enough people getting exercised about that. That's that's the mm. part that's the part that saddens me about sort of sort of where we've been. That's not. I don't think that's necessarily the case, um, but I think that's certainly the way I think a significant part of the culture perceives it.
0: Last thing I'll say is. I think because of our backgrounds, I think we tend to see certain things and miss other things. So I've grown up in the conservative Christian home and culture. So it's taken some time in reading and reflection to see certain elements of Christian nationalism that I didn't even recognize that were there. To recognize some of the faults in critical race theory comes much more natural Mm -hmm. to me but we have to be critical of both and any other ideology and be willing to consider those ideas compared next
1: to the gospel. So did I miss anything or are we good? No, I think, uh, you know, we we may have raised more questions than we answered uh, <laughs> for, <true>. for our <laughs> listeners, which which is okay. Um, you know, this is just the beginning. I think the beginning of a long conversation, I think this phenomenon is going to be with us for a while. Uh, and I would encourage our listeners to you know look at, as, as we say, to think biblically about everything, including politics, including how you vote, uh, including the, the party platforms that you support, including the issues that you think are crucial and important. Um, think think biblically and theologically and Christianly about all those things uh, because our, you know, our, our culture, I think, is looking for people who have transcendent convictions, but but also have you know have articulate, compelling reasons to support them. Um, and I think there's given that I think the you know what sociologists have discovered is that the that sometimes the commitment to Christian nationalism is more of a visceral and emotional thing rather than something well reasoned and thought out. Um, I think is is another thing that gives me cause for concern. But ultimately, the reason I think this issue is important is because ultimately we have to get our allegiances straight. Amen. Uh, you know, we, we can't we can't have penultimate things taking on ultimate significance. Uh, and it's it's the gospel first, and the and the kingdom of God first. Our citizenship is in heaven. Ultimately, we love our home. You know, We're called not to get too comfortable in it, uh, certainly not to place our security in it, um, but ultimately to place that in the kingdom of God.
0: Scott, this is great stuff. I can envision we'll get a lot of emails about this, but I wanted us to kind of process this together because our culture is processing it right now. I'm not sure anybody has all the answers, a clear definition but when it's all said and done, like you said, let's bring it back to scripture. Be willing to challenge any assumptions that we have and make sure it's faithful to what Jesus taught. That's what we're concerned with. So thanks for your wisdom. This this was a fun one.
1: Yeah, I here, here. Good stuff. This has been an
0: episode of the podcast, Think Biblically, conversations on faith and culture. The Think Biblically podcast is brought to you by Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. Offering programs in Southern California and online, including our Master's in Christian Apologetics, now offered fully online, which I teach in. Visit biola.edu Talbot to learn more. If you enjoyed today's conversation, give us a rating on your podcast app and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening, and remember, think biblically about everything.